Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. We are following the news, following an appeals court that has just suspended former New York City mayor and former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani from practicing law in New York State. This comes after uh, this panel found that Rudy Giuliani lied about widespread election fraud during the 2020 race when he was serving as former President Trump's personal attorney. I guess uh, at this point, it's safe to assume that Rudy Giuliani is is never going to sit on the Supreme Court, huh? Uh, I think Rudy may have reached the pinnacle of his legal career at this point. He'll <laughs> he'll have to settle for having been the number three at the Justice Department and a very uh, well-known U.S. attorney in Manhattan. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Josh Gerstein. On those people who didn't have to settle on the peak of their legal careers, the Supreme Court justices, and how the 6-3 conservative majority bench isn't playing out exactly how you might have expected. So this is the first summer of decisions with a fully Trump-packed court. No Rudy Giuliani, but we have three picks from the former president sitting on the bench, including his latest, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. How would you characterize this bench so far? I would say it's clearly a very conservative court, but so far uh, it hasn't proven to be quite as extreme as uh, some liberals were warning when those three Trump nominees were going through the confirmation process. If nothing else, the voters should be very clear about one thing. President Trump and his party and Judge Barrett will overturn the Affordable Care Act, and they won't stop there. We saw a series of decisions this year, especially towards the end of the year, uh, that suggests that calling it a 6-3 court may really not be accurate. Hmm. One recent case, for example, uh, had to do with Obamacare is probably the most consequential case of the term. And the Supreme Court was looking at this uh, issue of sort of whether Obamacare could be broken up and some of the key requirements in it knocked out. The Supreme Court weighing arguments in a challenge brought by the Trump administration and 18 Republican-led states. They say that the ACA's individual mandate, which initially required most Americans to have health insurance or pay a fine, should be struck down as unconstitutional and the whole law thrown out with it. But the court ended up coming out seven to two, saying those who were trying to challenge this didn't have standing. The liberals on the court joined by four conservative justices, including Chief Justice John Roberts and Trump appointees, Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, declaring they have failed to show that they have standing to attack as unconstitutional the act's minimum essential coverage provision. And once again, you know, Obamacare got away basically uh, unscathed, and this caused, um, you know, a fair amount of concern and grumbling from the the couple of justices who who did object to that. I think it was Justice Alito uh, uh, who said that, you know, for the third time now, there's been kind of a magic magic act that's gone on here. And somehow the uh, protagonist has emerged unscathed, uh, you know, sort of like an old James Bond film. Well, he certainly left with his tails between his legs. 
Uh, so, so that's sort of what we're looking at. And, and, you know, again, I can't say that that means in a future case that those justices would vote that way, but it didn't seem like they were on some kind of kamikaze mission to take out the law. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. I mean, given the number of justices who were nominated by Trump, who, you know, campaigned heavily on getting rid of Obamacare, um, has it been surprising for you personally watching this court? A little bit, although I will say that I do think there is a tendency in humans, especially when you think you've been wrongly accused or um, someone's descriptions of you have been exaggerated, which, you know, I may, it, I, I know it'll be shocking to you, Jeremy, but it, it could be that sometimes in the Supreme Court confirmation process, you know, people's faults may get exaggerated. But I do think that the, there's a natural tendency, right, to try to want to disprove your critics. And I do see um, injustices like uh, Amy Barrett, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch, different decisions they've uh, handed down on different topics where they all, to me, seem to be saying, hey, look, I'm not the person you thought I was. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's a, you know, sometimes it's different issues. Gorsuch came out on LGBT rights and issued an opinion that almost nobody thought he would sign. But in fact, he wrote it and basically said current law forbids uh, discrimination uh, same-sex discrimination, discrimination against uh, trans individuals. So, so that was a rather surprising decision. But it, he seemed happy to write it because he felt, I think, to a degree, it would confound his critics. Mm-hmm. And I see Kavanaugh and Barrett doing that at times as well. Mm. So, you mentioned the Obamacare decision. What other major cases that will have a big impact have we seen ruled on uh, this term? Well, um, we saw one uh, having to do with cyber crime and cyber law that I think it provided an interesting split. Um, that was indeed a 6-3 split, but um, maybe not in the way some people would have expected. We saw the the court's newest appointees, all the Trump appointees, line up with the liberals hmm. and kind of rein in a law that, you know, some people say basically makes it a federal crime to log into your spouse or partner's frequent flyer account with their permission. Basically, anytime you break the rules of a website, uh, the interpretation the Justice Department was putting forward was that that's a violation of federal law. And uh, the justices by six to three said it wasn't. I think that was an important, maybe underrated uh, decision. And and one we had just a few days ago involving the NCAA. We're going to start with the Supreme Court's unanimous ruling, siding with former college athletes against the NCAA when it comes to player compensation. This ruling will allow for some educated-related payments with things like computer laptops and things like that. It does not yet allow salaries for players. The NCAA was really objecting to having um, antitrust law applied to the way it deals with college athletes. And the court, by a kind of astounding 9-0 to zero decision, said... Uh, no, you know, we've kind of had enough of the way the NCA treats athletes. And at least with regard to some educational benefits, uh, we're going to uphold a lower court decision that those uh, restrictions went too far and basically forbid the NCAA from imposing them. Mm-hmm. Some of the other decisions that were significant, the court kind of stepped back from uh, making as sweeping a ruling as it might have. There, We were expecting uh, a big ruling on uh, sort of conscience rights and uh, whether a Catholic group in Philadelphia could avoid the city's anti-discrimination rules and nonetheless refuse to serve same-sex couples. The dispute erupted a couple years ago due to Catholic Social Services policy not to place children with same-sex couples. 
The city rescinded its contract with the agency. Lori Windham, senior counsel for the Beckett Law Firm out of Washington, D.C., represents Catholic Social Services. What it's asking is that it have the freedom to follow its faith and not be forced to make written certifications about marriage that are contrary to its religious beliefs. And the court there basically approved that situation in Philadelphia, said that Catholic group can't be prohibited from participating in the foster care program there. But they stepped back from the kind of sweeping decision that would address these issues across the country. And once again, that caused a certain degree uh, of anger from, it seemed like maybe the crankiest Justice, Justice Alito, um, who, who had a funny phrase saying this decision might as well be written on the dissolving paper sold in magic shops. <laughs> um, so he was really going after his colleagues again and again for not squaring up to cases and sort of looking for the easy way out, at least from his perspective. So there are still a few decisions that could come down from the court today, including on um, voting rights. But looking to next year, when there are some huge decisions that could be made from the court, is there anything you're going to be watching for, particularly when you're thinking about, you know, perhaps unexpected decisions from some of Trump's nominees? I think the biggest thing far and away that everybody is looking at is uh, the issue of abortion coming in front of the court. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed today to hear arguments in a major abortion case from Mississippi. The case surrounds a 2018 law passed to ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. You know, one of the big questions, especially uh, with Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who received questioning over some of her very traditional Catholic views, but as well as the other two Trump nominees, um, you know, abortion rights have seemed to survive by a very slender thread at the court before uh, we've even had Chief Justice John Roberts, who's not really uh, a supporter of abortion rights on at least one occasion, step up and say, you know, I'm going to uphold this statute because of the importance of precedent and not wanting the court to go back and forth and back on this issue. Uh, but now, you know, we don't have a 5-4 court, we have a 6-3 court in terms of Republican versus Democratic appointees. I'm still doubtful that, you know, this is going to result in overturning Roe versus Wade. I still think it's more likely that we see, you know, continuing incremental um, retrenchment, you know, of that decision, cutting it back and back, uh, maybe in certain states, uh, making an abortion almost impossible to receive, but the court not explicitly renouncing that uh, Roe v. Wade decision, which is what, about a half century old at this point. So that's really the big case that everybody is watching for next term. It's considered a blockbuster and really beyond Obamacare, which didn't seem like that much of a threat uh, this term. There were really no cases that are really at the level of what you might call a blockbuster decision. It'll be quite interesting to see whether Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch perform as liberals expect them to or continue with this sort of a more independent course that at least, you know, Barrett and Kavanaugh have tried to demonstrate, it looks like, over the past year or so. Josh Gerstein, thanks so much for talking with me. Happy to do it, Jeremy, anytime. Also today... President Biden is celebrating his successful brokering of a framework for a bipartisan infrastructure package, but is warning that he will not sign the legislation he's agreed to unless it's delivered alongside a potentially party-line bill that includes social welfare and family assistance priorities. 
The president's declaration was made on Thursday, less than two hours after he and a group of 10 senators appeared outside the White House to announce their agreement on a $579 billion proposal. And it comes at a particularly perilous moment for both measures. The bipartisan package must now win the support of progressive Democrats and conservative Republicans with a broader human infrastructure bill, which is likely to be routed through the legislative reconciliation process, must attract support from all 50 Senate Democrats to win passage. And the Senate is giving the go-ahead to a bill that aims to help farmers profit on climate action. In a rare example of bipartisan action on climate, the chamber overwhelmingly passed a bill on Thursday asking the Agriculture Department to create a certification program to help farmers, ranchers, and foresters make money by selling carbon credits that can be generated by changing their operations to cut emissions or pull more carbon dioxide from the air into soil or trees. The bill has broad support from environmental groups and even the American Farm Bureau Federation, which has a long history of opposing federal climate legislation. But critics on the left have said the bill focuses too much on offsets and not on mandatory emissions cuts. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior editor Raghu Manavalan, senior producer Jenny Ament, and executive producer... Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.